0: Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of Black sports. I'm Lewis Moore.
1: I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary Black athletes.
0: And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. You can also check out my Audible on The Black Athlete on Amazon.
1: Uh, I'm Derek White. Uh, I'm the author of Challenge of Blackness, the Institute of the Black World and the uh, Politics of the 1970s, and Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jake Gaither, Florida A&M
0: and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Hey, man, it's good to be back. Look, it's, it's What is it? <laughs> almost done. Uh, oh, gosh, kids' school's almost done. We we uh, took the kids in a car for the first time in two months today. Uh, that was exciting to go get ice cream. Took us about an hour. I power washed the deck, so I am in my summer mode. However, however, you didn't ask, but I'm willing to tell you. Got the email yesterday that we are going to 4-4 next year, so I'm kind of bummed out.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't even know. I don't even have anything exciting to add to that, other than, hey, man, we, you know, we. I mean, is you this me more you is care it, about me. Is this more or less podcast? I'm just trying to figure out. How this, this
0: works. it's. You know what? I think I'm gonna go online. Um, I took a, you know, I got my online certificate, uh, last week, which is like four hours of training. Uh, I think I'm gonna go online, and it can be whatever I want because, for what I heard, I'm a. I just push play and, and everything works magically. So hopefully there'll be, there'll be more opportunities for me to do stuff.
1: Oh, man, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. So today I think we, we should announce we have a, a special guest. This is the second yes. time in a month that we've had guests on uh, the Black Athlete Podcast. And today we have the illustrious Samantha Shepherd, who is the Mary Armstrong-Madusky 1980 assistant professor of cinema and media studies in the department of performing and media arts at cornell university that is a mouthful she is the author of the newly published book sporting blackness race embodiment and the critical muscle memory on screen welcome samantha
2: Thank you. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, first of all, a very kind and generous um, introduction. The fact that you said the whole, you know, assistant professor title is, is extremely kind. So thank you. Um, it's a delight to be on this podcast um, with the two of you who have wonderful careers and wonderful works um, on, on race and sports. And I really appreciate you all having me.
1: Well, we are excited to have you here in part because you have this fantastic new book. That oh, my dove, gosh. That dovetails with this that talks about, you know, race and sports on screen at in the aftermath of this last dance documentary. So what we want to do first is to talk, give you a few minutes to talk a little bit about, you know, what's your book? What's it about for the listeners uh, where they can get it? Uh, and also, how did you you know, what spurred you to take on this topic?
2: Well, thanks. I mean, I would first say um, the timing of the release of this book and The Last Dance was something that Michael Jordan and I talked about um, explicitly because we really wanted to make sure that his documentary had a context. And so I said, fine, Jordan, I'll do this. And I owed him a favor and it was fine. But um, in all seriousness, um, so um, (laughs) Sporting Blackness is a a project I've been working on since graduate school. I did my um, um, PhD at UCLA in the Department of Cinema and Media Studies, and I've been long interested in the sports film genre, which of course is like, an amazing genre, but like a totally hated on genre, um, particularly in like, you know, black film studies. You know, people want to study something like, you know, gritty. Give me those 90s films or like give me a <laughs> black pointation era or like give me independent cinema. Like and I'm like, you know, I want to study a film genre that would name a film about a track runner who was black, and call it race, because (laughs) we need that kind of explicitness for the audience so that they really know what we're talking about. Um, And then to tell you in the movie, like, race doesn't matter. It's amazing. Um, So I was just really interested in studying this genre um, and I jokingly say for that reason, but also because it's, it's, it's an understudied and under theorized genre to think about um, race and cinema um, and sports and the confluence of all of those um, of all of those intersections because it's actually a super popular genre. Um, It plays on our nostalgia. Um, It says a lot about race, often a lot about whiteness. Um, And also it's, it's It's thought to be apolitical and it's it's completely not it's 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 tied to to certain kinds of politics um certain kinds of values and ideologies and in short, I really wanted to study bl- like blackness in mass in cinema and sports films are where you can see black bodies moving contesting um, um negotiating physical space in a really interesting way and so what I've done with this book is try to ruin a lot of people's movies uh, by (laughs) thinking deeply about them. Um, And I do that on, you know, on average, mostly every day of my life in my teaching. Um, And I've gotten five stars. (laughs) So I feel like this one is definitely going to be on the Amazon list of like, you know, must reads. This is going to be up there with becoming. Um, Uh So (laughs) (laughs) I'm just completely overhyping this to say that, you know, this is an academic book. So it really is trying to look at issues of race and representation in contemporary sports films. And it does so by thinking about the complexity of the term sporting blackness. And so as you all know, this is a a podcast called, you know, the, you know, the black athlete. It's like, there's so much attached to, to that concept of socially, historically, politically. And so to sport Blackness is to have to tangle with narratives of athleticism, um, of racial identity, of history, of memory, of movement, um, and of discourses embodied and otherwise. And so the thing I'm interested in exploring in sports films is how um, representations of Black athletes embody, perform, and play out and contest and negotiate conceptions of Blackness on screen. And one of the big sort of critical theoretical, because again, this is an academic book for those who are like, "Oh, how dare you bring theory into this?" and it's like funny. <laughs> theories in your whole life, life is theory. it's not a fact um but the theories is that I'm saying that Black sporting bodies contain critical muscle memories. And that makes sense. Like, we Mm -hmm. literally have had people explain that to us in so many different ways, whether it's like, okay, I haven't run in years, but then you go out and you're like, I still got it. It's in my bones. (laughs) It's (laughs) it's it's, Something's in there. Um, So it's like, you know, this, this term that comes from human kinetics, and we've used it to theorize, you know, different kinds of Black conditional responses, whether that's been with Fanon and, you know, muscle fatigue Intention to do, of course, you know, colonialism, or it's you know, CLR James trying to understand, you know, how. Know, the body in cricket reproduces past movements that everybody has done and played and experienced or it's elements sadly of racial terror. So what does it mean to witness um, to do communal witnessing and to take in memories in the body um, of, of larger traumas so the body remembers and I'm interested in trying to explore that and in, um, in how that happens in embodied ways kinesthetic ways but also cinematic ways. So in terms of film history but also also, in terms of film form, so what does the camera do to create moments of shared experiences? Um, is there doubling that happens? Um, is there resonance or recursivity? Um, and I do that in black sports documentaries. I look at it in something like um, the character of Booby Miles, which is in the second chapter, which is my favorite chapter because Booby Miles is everything. Um, and uh, looking at representations of of Uh, or the lack of representations of women in sports and how that sort of um, creates an absence that speaks to a present, um, 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 absent history of Black women in sports, um, even though we have been there the entire time. And then um, the fourth chapter is really looking at this experimental sports film called Hourglass, where it's about how, how do... How do filmmakers create works that don't just do the same kind of stereotypical tropes? Um, How do they break conventions formally and um, create narratives that are about refusal or about radical understandings of what it may mean to support Blackness, which may require one to not participate in playing the game, which obviously makes sense when we think about how we understand Black protests, particularly Black athletic protests. Um, Sometimes it happens outside the game. Sometimes it happens um, on the side. Lines of the game, um, so things that happen on the margins, whether that's the sixty eight Olympics, whether that's Colin Kaepernick, um, whether that's things that happen behind the scenes, whether that's Craig Hodges, whether like whatever that may be. So, so this book tries to to do that and have a lot of fun and talk about a lot of films, study um, sports docs, which I know we'll get into in a bit, and um, do so in a way that is a mix of engaging and tenureable. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> cool. All right. So, so Sam, we're going to say a couple of things. One, you can always hype your book on this podcast because look, if you, the one thing that uh, Lou and I have learned is that if you do not hype your book, no one else will. So you have to be your, right. own. You gotta be your own hype man. You got to be building Brown. Like you just got to go out and get it done, man. All right uh, and parking so, lot, parking lot platinum. That's what I call it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you got to. Uh, so you know you got to pop the trunk. You got to show up to the conferences right. with a
0: few extra in your bag. I mean, hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't be, I can't say we're out, we're on live. I can't I can't say anyone's name. But yes, yes, you got to. Yes, pop. Yes, promote your own work. That's all I'll say. Offline, we'll talk about somebody. But yes, promote your own work. I, I am definitely... I am the most shameless person. When it comes to my my stuff hasn't come out for three years, and I'll still act like it came out yesterday. So.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> (laughs) That is good to know. I will definitely definitely do that. Um, And for readers who are still, I mean, not readers, wow, um, I haven't been out much. um, But for listeners who are still listening in, Sporting Blackness is available for purchase currently um, on Amazon, UC Press, or from your local bookstore. If you ask them, they will order it and send it to you. Please support your local bookstores. But more importantly, please support me um, and (laughs) order Sporting Blackness. Thank you. Awesome.
1: That was, that was right. perfect, right there. That was, that was awesome. Perfect.
0: Can I ask, can I ask one question? Absolutely. So, in the breakdown, you said you ruined some movies. Ruin just real quick. Ruin one sport movie for me.
2: Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, let's see. What's your favorite sport movie?
0: uh I let's just go. Uh, so, something we're all familiar with. Let's ruin one of the creeds for me.
2: Oh, let's ruin the first creed. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, actually think, I think that movie is really, really good and it's doing something very interesting shadow boxing with, you know, um, with Rocky history. But um, and it's trying to figure out how do you have a white savior narrative. Um that while also trying to promote a kind of um, articulation of Black agency. Um, but it's still a white savior narrative. Like, it's it can't escape itself um, no matter what. And that's why you're you, who are you rooting for? You're rooting for Creed, but you're actually rooting for Stallone to live. Like, can <laughs> you can't just live? If you would just beat that man up, Stallone would live. And I mean, let's also get uh, there's some really messy things about the gender politics in that book, I mean, in that book, in that film. Again, I don't know... The, what day it is so please forgive me but um but I think it's an interesting work I just say like when I ruin them I just want to talk about them like super duper closely I want to just go the thing that I really like about that is that sort of Rough Riders moment when he's he's riding down I was like that is so hype I love a good they they reinvigorated the training montage and that's why I would say like oh let's talk about the hip hop aesthetics that make that moment have all this kind of cultural significance particularly for black audiences because when I said Rough Rider moment you knew exactly what I was talking about you wanted to be like way well, your dog way well, your dog way well, your dog like you really wanted to like, right. get that going and so that's a kind of like cultural specificity that i think is in that work that shows that ryan coogler made this and not not sylvester stallone and i think right. that's a really interesting thing
0: because because they were in north philly right and most of rocky is uh south philly yes so, like they have to m- literally move sections of the city to train um yeah. Yeah, no, thank you for ruining that movie. No, I mean, and
2: and I ruin it in a good way. In a good way. No, in a good way, it makes you think, yeah. So I just started watching Top Chef. um, And I know I'm 11 seasons or so, 16 seasons too late, and that's fine. Um, But I just started watching it, but I always try to describe it like – as if I, I feel like the people who are judging top chef, like it's not that I'm really ruining it. I'm just a connoisseur of this food. So when I watch it, I'm just like taking in these moments. I'm like, oh, do you see the note of this? I hate, I taste a little bit of that turmeric. I don't obviously know food. I don't cook, but like, <laughs> but like <laughs> a little bit of time or that's a little, uh, oh, I see the history of that. Like, and so it, it's more like when I watch something, I'm having a great sumptuous meal. So it's like you could be a food critic, like a movie critic, and really have a sumptuous meal, even with work that's problematic or work that's really something. Um, it just means that I have like a great enhanced um, experience, um, and sometimes that enhanced experience, of course, can turn you know turn you off. You can be like, this is really over um, saltinated, which is maybe not a word. Um, um, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, and by that, I mean, like, there's so much racism, like, <laughs> oh, too much salt again, yet again. Um, so thank you, Top Chef, yet again, for, for giving me something. Um, awesome.
1: I, I want to ask a question. And and this is thinking about what happens in the classroom, because we all, all three of us teach sports classes, uh, various different kinds. And students come in with kind of, I know they come into your class with a favorite sports movie which one do they feel crestfallen when you destroy? Like what's the one that they let that your students hold on to when they show, like they look at the list of courses and like, Oh, race, sports, and film. Like this is, I need to take this class. And they come, they come in like gunning to talk about, you know, whatever movie it is. And you come in there and you just kind of blow them. And then they, like they drop the class. Like what, <laughs> like what, 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 what movie is that most often for you?
2: That's such a good, good question. I think because I start off actually with a documentary. I start off. I start off with um with Dave Zirin's um um not just a game that they sort of get the tone though. So like that usually is what messes them up. They're like, oh okay, this is not what I thought. And sure. then we go to like Jim Thorpe, All-American. And so they're just sort of like, yeah, these movies are terrible. Um, <laughs> So I would say the one that actually throws them the most off, not so much as they drop the class, but they they never get the point I'm trying to make about it, Um, which is Personal Best, um, which is a film from 1971 by... um Robert Town, I believe. And it's about, um, two, two female track and field stars, um, who, um, are, um, I use the term lesbian loosely because one of them is a lesbian, but they start a relationship, and the film sort of undoes the fact that we're supposed to think about them as being in a relationship. But so it's about two two women track stars in love. Um, But there are these scenes where they're trying to capture the female body, like you know, doing the high jump, and it's Mm -hmm. just like pelvic shot after pelvic shot, (laughs) (laughs) panting and breathing, and they're just like. And I'm like, they're like, you know, I'm like, okay, so can we think about this as appreciation of the physical athletic form? And they're like, this is sex. You cannot come. <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to think besides like there is? I, I saw labia. I think like it, they it never. They're just like I don't believe you. Like it, sometimes they're just like you're a lie. And I'm sort of like, this is. Did you do the reading? And they're like, I don't care what she said. <laughs> this is not. This is not subversive. This is not doing something else. This is not playing with how we think about women's bodies um, in terms of um, agency and effort, um, that it is the camera... um rendering them as sexual objects and i think it's a it's a complicated film and image but they definitely are always like can you just show me love and basketball um <laughs> and i'm like i'm going to show you clips from joanna man, um, joanna man. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, which oh. comes up in this book because i do the lord's work with that film um oh. so uh, awesome yeah. what chapter that's in um, chapter three. Chapter um, three. Yes. And it's, it's actually really great. I feel very redeemed by Joanna Man because if you're one of the four people who finished Black AF like myself, you got a little Joanna Man treat on episode five. Where they was sense of Joanna Man. And I felt like finally redeemed in my interest of this film. And I even listened to the director's cut. The director who casually explained that prior to the start of filming, his girlfriend was murdered. He casually brought that up. What? Yes. Okay,
1: yes. You, d- that's deep cut, right? Now. Yes. yes that's deep. Oh. You don't
2: want to. It's Miguel Nunez talking about, oh, I kept that watch. Little Kim brought her own clothes to the set. Like, these are the <laughs> extra facts I know about Joanna, man. Oh, man. All
1: right. Let, let, I, I I think our readers really do want to. I mean, our listeners want, you got me saying readers now. Uh, <laughs> uh, our listeners want to know what's the best yes yeah like what's the what's the one sp- sports movie like it doesn't have to be a documentary because we no let's we- do
0: what, both categories movie
1: and doc okay let's do that yeah so i need to know which one i need to show in class on the right. black athlete
0: black <laughs> athlete are we yeah
2: Yes, on the black athlete, I would say the 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 best fictional is to me Hourglass, which is a thirteen minute short experimental film by Haile Garima um, about a black football player um, who not football player, to me basketball player who ostensibly is at UCLA, um, and um, basically realizes that he is um, basically asked to be a gladiator um, for the pleasure of white audiences Um, and comes to this realization through reading a lot of literature um, about um, um, colonialism and anti-colonialism and um, Pan-African works and basically goes out in search of community. It's 13 minutes long. It's super interesting in part because it has non-sync sound. So it's basically uses um, poetry from the last poets and um, mm-hmm. Elaine Brown, who was the head of the um, only woman to be head of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. um, her song "Sees the Time. And so it's asynchronous in that respect. But it's like the last poets, it's, you know, it's a total just like critique of everything that um, sort of athletes at the time. He made this, you know, just right after 68, um, um, you know, when Kareem was playing at UCLA. It's mm-hmm. a really, really interesting film. It's 13 minutes. It's really provocative, um, and I just think it's the best sports movie. Besides, probably, um, I have a strong affection for He Got Game, and I have a strong affection for um, High Flying Bird. Mm. Um, but, um, but I live for Boobie Miles. But Friday Night Lights, the movie's trash. Um, oh wow. <laughs> And the wow. best sports doc is is definitely um, OJ made America. That's just that's just we'll we'll get into that when we talk more about the last dance and what it's not and it's not OJ made America. That is, yeah, that is the, the gold standard to me.
1: All right, look at look. You know, this is what happens when you're with with special guests. They like give you the
0: transitions. The transition. Like, we don't to have to that. deal with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love I it. Everyone's looking it. up. I uh, was looking up Hourglass, too. So go. So it's Hourglass, you can find right? It
2: on, yes, you can find it on YouTube. It's also. Oh, um, boom, watching um, it tonight. It's, it's on YouTube. And it's, it's preserved by UCLA's film and television archive. Um, Haile Grima is a renowned filmmaker, part of the L.A. Rebellion. Um, and he's made amazing films like Sankofa um, and Tiza and Child of Resistance. He, um, he teaches at Howard University. Oh, oh wow.
0: OK. The- Look there we at go this. look at that's deep learning something i am learning it is 10 30 i am learning something that's I, what i'm saying this is what we're talking about all right so i guess
1: uh,
0: we're trying transi- we got to get there now because you have- you dogged on the last dance that it wasn't oj made in america yeah, right so ready. i know and people are gonna listen you're and right you know, but yeah it but was, you're absolutely it. right yeah,
1: yeah no it's, uh, <laughs> um you know Lou and I had discussed this a couple of weeks ago. With we we live tweeted uh, Made in America. I mean, not Made in America. Oh, the Last Dance. You got me talking crazy <laughs> now. Uh, we live tweeted the Last Dance over ten episodes. Me and a bunch of other folks. It was great, good comedy, good jokes, um, but not great. I didn't feel like I learned anything. Right. I mean I think it's cuz I lived through it so I have this very different kind of feel like I'm always trying to pulse other people who like former students who I know were born in like 98 right so they don't have no real memory of Jordan actually playing or barely remember the wizard so um you know so I think there's a certain kind of thing right like that that's yeah. there um but it was what was your kind of uh, uh, you know your thoughts on on the documentary what was it trying to do and what it what it did well and what it didn't do well
2: I mean I think with the last dance I mean <sighs> the problem here for me is that I will always associate the last dance with the pandemic, and I think that is part of it is that it feels like we're forced to By a virus to participate in something. Um, And that's a little bit how I felt about this doc. Like, I felt forced to participate (laughs) in this because it was like, they know I'm trapped. Like, he knows I'm trapped here. And it's like, So, and ESPN is like, oh, we got you. We're not going to play, I don't know, women's sports that we haven't been playing for 20 years. What we are going to do is allow Michael Jordan to just have his way with our Sundays. Um, And so, but no, in in seriousness, I think it's a great piece of nostalgia. Um, I think that's why a lot of people are um, engaged with it. I think that as a documentary, I'm aligned a little bit with, you know, Ken Burns, like, it's it's not that um my friend media scholar Raquel Gates calls it a concert film and that's mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. it's a concert film it's very beautifully put together but when you have you know the 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 source material also having the last word you're watching mm-hmm. you know highlights of his life even his low lights or highlights um and i just can never it's like getting a documentary about amazon's jeff bezos like it's like sure it's it's interesting to think about a man who grew up to to basically own all the wealth of the globe like oh you two were just born of a of a woman, like, right. uh, like and then and then somehow you amassed all of this, that's but it's like I am not rooting for Jeff Bezos, and i'm honestly, I'm not rooting for Michael Jordan. It's just like the more you know about him, it's like, oh, God, you're disappointing, but you're really good at this, and I'm really happy for you, and you have all of this, and congratulations, but it's just. As a doc, it was not that it was it was nostalgia. It was very well put together, very well paced. Um, you could get into it, but it didn't. It never. It never refracted out to tell us anything more about the consequences of celebrity, the consequences of of, of of fame, the consequences of this moment, how we can understand this in a larger viewpoint. Which is why I think O.J. Made in America didn't even have to involve O.J. to tell us about O.J., about L.A., about the time period, about celebrity culture, about police brutality, I, like this documentary just continued to tell us about Michael Jordan. And I would rather watch the documentary space jam. If that's <laughs> right. I mean, I guess I don't have any good things. I would actually love to know more about what you all thought was very enticing about it or what you think. um Why do you think people really enjoyed it? Was it just the nostalgia and the, the, or, or the pandemic? What, I- Why did you want to go? You want to
0: jump in? I would just say it's one, it's the nostalgia, right? We're, I don't, I'm low 40s, right? So you grow up in this era and you want to see that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just like refreshing the memories without me having to go to YouTube. The other part about it, it's it's it created a larger conversation. So we're on Twitter. We're, we did 10 hours of this, right? Live tweeting for literally five straight Sundays, 10 hours. And so it allowed us right in this middle of pandemic to have some kind of community over this figure that we all under understand. So like from that standpoint, because as you said, there was literally nothing going on. I think it was great. I think I, w- I would have watched it regardless because if I'm not mistaken, it would have dropped right after the NBA finals. And I think yeah. this is the other part about Jordan and people watching it because there's this larger conversation about Jordan LeBron about, I I guess it's only Jordan LeBron now. Um, And so people want to watch it so they could take shots and stuff like that. And I think that's the fun in it. And that's part of sports, right? Like having those barbershop conversations, uh, but on Twitter with Michael Jordan. And I thought that was, that was it for me. Right. And I just, it's 10 hours was a lot like you, like I wanted the OJ stuff. I wanted more on, the gambling. I wanted more on, on Harvey Gantt, by the way, listeners, we do have that whole Harvey Gantt episode. Uh, So (laughs) go, go listen to 45 minutes of us talk about Harvey Gantt. I wanted the drama. I wanted, you know, I wanted all of that. Um, And I definitely wanted the Craig Hodges piece. Um, The other thing I wanted to complain about in, in another forum was just, I wanted the listeners to understand that Jordan played in chicago right next to the projects right and and i thought there's something about the space of chicago stadium right next to henry horner projects um it becomes popular the henry horner projects come popular in the book there are no children here right and they're right Mm -hmm. next door um Mm -hmm. and i wanted more of a conversation about ur you know that that urban michael jordan what's going on in chicago what's craig hodges asking them to do um and and i think for real the next doc if they're going to do the michael jordan doc they got to do that just like they did the o j doc right it's got to be about his north carolina roots it's got to be about civil rights it's got to be about you know urban america um and then it's really wrestle with with how he really <laughs> stayed away from all of that
2: Wait, so you're saying they're doing they're they're doing another another one of these, no, stories? So if you ever do that, that's what oh, you gotta okay. do
0: right oh, independent no. of Mike Jordan, which means oh, you yeah. won't have any footage, so it'd just be like be real <laughs> like be
2: like <laughs> what they call those
0: that the B. like <laughs> they're just just people on film talking with with still photos that they get for free somewhere, so
2: no, I think you bring up a really interesting point, particularly about like thinking about. What what he means to to the landscape and also to to the demographic um, who was who was in the space and place of the time in which he played because the one thing and to bring this back to sports films slightly is there's a really interesting thing about the opening of Hoop Dreams because yeah. when you see um, first it's um, William Gates the one who uh, interestingly enough has the most connection to Michael Jordan because it was Michael Jordan who was um, encouraging him to try out um for the NBA, um, just before his brother Curtis was murdered, um, um, later on in his life. Um, and what what is sort of how um um how the filmmakers shoot that is they 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 shoot from the the all-star game um with Michael Jordan to William Gates. And it's like a sort of like sort of understanding that we know that we are in um um oh my god, now I'm forgetting the name of um, where william gates lived oh this is a this is a this is a life fail right here um
0: chicago uh, i don't know the projects
2: yes like, like,
0: <laughs> where's
2: he's in the ickies like which one is it totally, are we just going to start naming totally all the chicago the, ones he's uh, definitely in the project certainly um and <laughs> Brittany green, uh, green what do we got here green, yes so it, it's we, okay it's Cabrini Green. Thank you. It's Cabrini right. Green. And um, so, <laughs> no, it's a project. insert projects, um, what do you call it? And it, and it cuts to, to the space and then in playing, you know, it's supposed to be, a, of course, about, you know, the hoop dreams and what the aspiration really is. But you get a sense of. What it what he means as a as a figure, but then what that also how that connects in a kind of quotidian everyday term to um, the, the the hopes and the dreams and and really the realities of of what. You know, black male aspirants to this to this experience um, actually live um, at the time period. So it's such an interesting moment in this documentary that has a lot of issues, um, but is is certainly very very powerful. Um, that. I didn't think The Last Dance was interested in interrogating. And so therefore, what we remember from this in this collective thing you really brought up so nicely about um, the kind of community that happened around this work um, in terms of Twitter conversation and all the great columns and everything you know is it going to be what the documentary was telling us about jordan and his understanding of the game and et cetera? or are we going to walk away just with the memes and the yellow eyes and all of the stuff <laughs> like, what we, like learn we walk I,
0: away with the memes yeah we walk away, we walk
2: away with memes I,
1: yeah. mean, I mean i think the thing that was interesting to me at least like i wouldn't say i was interested is that like i walked away thinking like i didn't learn anything as someone who lived through it i didn't learn anything new per se. Right. Or different. Like it reminded me of some stuff that I had forgotten, but it didn't really tell me anything new. Mm. Um, that was another thing. And then the other part that I said, you know, as a person, who, I I just walked away feeling like, man, Michael Jordan seems very lonely. Like, Oh God. Yeah.
0: He's got no real, his best friend. I'm like, how did this guy become his best friend? It just lets me know. Dude doesn't have a lot of friends.
1: And and you know and fun, and this thing you know as a as a person who like I mean as a as a guy who played sports and 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 played in college, you know when you when you when sports ends for you whatever level, um you know the thing that I missed the most was not training not games. You missed the camaraderie in the locker room, and you never got a sense like you got Michael Jordan as the bully in the locker room, but you didn't look like he was actually having fun among equals among peers. Um, and that was, I thought that was a missed opportunity. Um, and then two, I just felt like, you know, Jordan is a kind of a, like, a, aside for none of the kind of external things that are happening, we never got a sense of what Michael Jordan's genius was, mm. you know, like there's a certain, like it, it got boiled down to like, he was this great athlete and he was competitive Who worked oh. hard. Right. Right. But like, that doesn't quite explain like. I mean, they had 10 hours of stuff. We could have learned, like, you know, how did Jordan decide to become the defensive player of the year? Like, what makes – because there was, you know, to to be honest, no leading scorer had ever been defensive player of the year, right? Like, no one had done those two things as well as him. There's an interesting kind of question about the game, about how he approached – like, all little things that, you know, would have been something that I would have gained and learned that I couldn't have learned anywhere else. I'll end with this. I saw this thing, uh, the essay, did, I'm going to lose if you saw it, um, from Wright Thompson.
0: Yeah, uh, I saw About it.
1: his North Carolina roots. And I was like, man, that article was better than the whole documentary. Mm. Here, can I say something about that
0: without getting in trouble? Yeah. All right. First of all, one, our podcast on Harvey Gantt was better. But uh, <laughs> um, like all that stuff, there's a book that, that came out on Jordan like five years ago. And I remember sitting down at a bookstore. Uh, a local independent bookstore and, and I'm reading the first couple chapters and that's it. Right. It's like, I was fascinated by that because it was, it was like dealing with the Jordan family being in, in North Carolina, like the slavery, the Jim Crow. And like, this dude just took from that book. Right. The other thing to me, I thought that piece was trying it, it, it almost made it seem like there was this, there's this excuse like of Jordan, not really dealing with urban, uh, stuff right and, and kids getting shot over his schools because he's he's like southern and you know he's these are, and i'm thinking the whole time I'm, I'm reading this i'm like man harvey grant's family and Gantt grew up the same way like jordan's parents are part of this kind of this yeah. generation yeah. and i thought like i think it it was trying to i felt like it was trying to like give jordan that excuse of kind of why he stayed silent right because he's this black guy from the south and here he is everybody likes him and it's a big deal and i'm like that's even worse because the moment you bring bring up wilmington right 1898 and then you you know you fast forward if my math is correct 92 years and realize that when jordan had his opportunity he didn't say something against the segregationist that's problematic to me right and so i love right. you know as a historian i love the history but also as a historian i i was like Come on now, this is your opportunity. The other thing, Mm -hmm. they go straight from Wilmington to like here's Jordan in the '80s. It's like there's a (laughs) whole civil rights movement that you have to (laughs) take care of. But and I think this is why people like Jordan, like all the studies you read about, like his blackness, is he really black? You know, he rises above race, and that's part of what this doc was doing. It was just taking this idea and 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 and. you know and, and and Sam can help us out here but every sports film there's most of it's always this idea of hard work right this is why in america we mm-hmm. love sports hard work and meritocracy and somehow jordan proves that and we don't have to deal with anything else right you don't have to deal with the jim crow you don't have to deal with the civil rights movement because jordan worked hard he succeeded and mm-hmm. stayed quiet and i think that's the problem with that piece and i think that's part of the problem with that doc because it sells that narrative um, and Jordan buys into it. Like people love that idea of where he's talking about winning and this is all we do. And I'm like, man, this is really not how life works, but this is it. Right. So well, I, sorry I mean, to go off on that. No, yeah. no, no. That's, I,
2: that's perfect.
1: But I also think he's, he's lo- but I think that speaks to his loneliness, right? Because if that is all that matters, then at the end, like, what do you do when you can't play no more? Right. Like, like Jordan still feels like he can play. I mean, I think that's right. the unspoken thing. Like he feels like he could go
0: out today. Yeah, you know what he does? this is this is you're gonna love this he goes booby miles on us <laughs> He goes boobie, boobie, boobie. that's what he does right like that's the scene that everybody right like everybody loves that scene uh in front of our lights because i guess we get it right the black athlete who who's in high school suddenly without sports is nothing mm-hmm. um Right and and we all it's, I don't know do we cry at that scene or not? Uh, the book's really good, the book's but really I just good. remember being touched is, by that scene by Mom. Right? So you do cry, you do cry. Yeah, right. it. um, it's not quite Will Smith like his dad leaving him in Fresh Prince
2: cry, but it's <laughs> it gets you. It's pretty tough. I mean, because yeah. Derek Luke is selling it. I'm not gonna lie. Right. You think to yourself, "Oh, buddy, your life is over," and it is. Right. Because ostensibly, that's also what we know it is. Um, jail, so totally. it's a difference between like a booby miles figure and a and a jordan figure is that um we see you know the limits of of you know meritocracy and individualism and hard work if your body does not work right and i think there's a way in which you know with jordan and with the doc it's he's so steeped in the rhetoric of capitalism that it um that he becomes a tool of white supremacy and, um even now. And I think that's also what's so disappointing, as you pointed out, is that you sit here now with all of this time and thought and all these people writing lovely think pieces for which you have time to peruse over if you like, since you don't seem to have any friends, like you have all of this time to think differently. Right. And so we think, you know, money is access, access is education. And it's like, it seems like money just creates like great plaster walls where you just have an echo chamber because he should know better he should be doing better he literally has nothing but examples around him the reason why it keeps being the LeBron him comparison is because like literally this man LeBron was just on a virtual graduate together telling people to take to the streets <laughs> right. <laughs> Make the world better. And Jordan is like, would you like the fries to have my name on it too? Or right. <laughs> how would you like me to stand? Um, where should I, I, I be? Um, and I think that's the thing. And, and never looking back and being like, you know what? And even the whole little mea culpa that he does, you know, where he's like, you know, oh, I'm going to give money to this. I now see, you know, I'm giving some money to the NAACP or whatever. And a little bit to this organization. <laughs> I've really seen that there. There is a race problem, and it's like you—you not only did you know that intimately before. I think that's where the accountability that is not—that is not being there. We don't need to be disappointed in him. We actually need to be rageful, mad at him. Mm. I am rageful, mad because it's like literally, death followed your product. Death was at times the sign of your product. Like if you had that, you could die. If you had those shoes, you had the like, you could and to. To not fully reckon with that, to feel above that, to have bought into whiteness and the hype of white supremacy so much that he thought you could transcend it. When they don't ever want to transcend whiteness, they want to revel in it, um, is, is, is a cruelty. And it's a cruelty because he can know better, but is now willful. And that's really my problem, is to watch that and to think to yourself, when LeBron James made a documentary called Shut Up and Dribble, after a little sl- like and then you know has this whole section on Craig like literally something happens and it's like it's like and you have a chance and all you do is you do not think more deeply about the mental health of your of the people who you terrorized in the name of winning you you the the portrayal of Dennis Rodman has no nuance and I understand Juanita signed that NDA and she probably mm-hmm. can't say anything. And honestly, if I had the money, you wouldn't, trust me, if I win the lotto, I currently am not available to teach. You will never hear from me again. To from love, and I was like, I will find other loves. Um, you will hear, hear from me again. It would be like, I thought she had wrote, but a distant memory. I would clear it from the shelves. I don't want to be found. Um, but it's just sort of like, the, the measure of a, of a sporting genius is actually, like you said, there's, let's talk about the genius. Let's talk about what makes somebody a genius to be able to understand the game, to be able to know and to push oneself, but also the body. Let's talk about it lyrically, poetically, athletically, um, institutional. Let's talk about it in all these ways. And instead, it is just a freaking highlight reel. And it's like, we are now the era of YouTube. We don't need this.
1: But you know what though? Ed Jordan did need it, right? He needed yeah, that's it because true. he
2: loved watching this. That's what he got. Right, his life.
1: right. Like he needed, he needed it because I think there's a moment in which, and I think Lou hit on this, right? Where young, there's a whole generation of people who come up with Kobe and now see LeBron as has surpassing both Kobe and, and MJ. Right. And I think that that conversation, that barbershop conversation that's on Twitter, that's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Jordan is lonely, but it's clear that he's keeping abreast of like what the conversation is about. Right. Absolutely. And whether it's because people are asking him and his, you know, on the golf course or at the game or whatever, um, there's some of that. And I think this is this whole doc. I mean, the whole notion that he okayed it like after LeBron won, came back from three, one down to win a title right. speaks to a lot of kind of like, like the one thing I want, we all walk away with is that, you know, I don't think anybody in the world has been as petty as Michael Jordan. Like this dude has a list that goes all the way back to like elementary
0: school. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Right. And I'm like I like
1: like I'm like you know making up
0: stuff too. Like (laughs) he said good game to me.
1: (laughs) he He didn't say good game, he didn't talk to me, he talked to me. It don't matter, right? Like you know, and I think that there's some interesting kind of psychology going on there. Um, and I think your point about the, you know, compared to Made in America, where we really do use OJ as a way to tell these broader narratives about black life from really 1968, uh, from the 1960s through uh, the OJ trial, which is fantastic about Los Angeles um, and, 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 and American police brutality and all these issues. Like we get no light on any other kind of broader context, right? Like but this
2: would have been two and a half hours like tightly done could that like I wonder ask yourself like could did this need to be besides the fact that it is 10 hours like would this have been more effective if it had been say three hours
1: yeah it'd been as effective (laughs) right (laughs) right Because, I mean, like, at some point, like, we're like, you know, we're going all the way back in time, like, we're getting the, you know, we're getting the North Carolina stuff, we're getting, I mean, I think what it is, is it's, he's using the scale, right? Like, he's tipping the scale for folks who never saw him play. Mm Mm-hmm and he's saying look at all the stuff look at my greatness here's 10 hours of my greatness Mm -hmm. and quietly like i walked away and i think i told lou this before i was like i walked away like the thinking like the person who's probably now the greatest of all time is kareem right here's a dude who like when we tell this we teach this story about the boycott of 1968 like the only person who boycotted was kareem right (laughs) yeah (laughs) right like there's a guy who like who was literally like you know, faced all these trials and tribulations and better and was self-reflective and mm-hmm. you know like spiritual, change becomes a Muslim, deals with all these things and and writes these books and was an assistant coach, but never got a chance to be a head coach. Like there's all kinds of interesting stories that that tell us, and he's also like the all time leading scorer and you know all the accolades that one could give him. And I think that there's a sense that like maybe Jordan just didn't deserve 10 hours. Hmm. Right.
0: But he got it though. He got it. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. all my 10 hours. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, he got it. And maybe I think it's not so much like his, I think for anybody who, who, who loves the game, like, yes, they can watch 10 hours of the beauty of his play and hear him talk about it and his, his teammates and et cetera. But I think the Jordan, the mythos, didn't need ten hours, and what you described with Kareem is that Kareem, the the man and the mythos, could exceed ten hours. Could be this next thing. I think I was seeing on Twitter people trying to come up like what would be the next one of these because of how successful this has been. And somebody was like Tom Brady, and I was like, who is watching that? Right, who is like asking for this, like, like. And then I was like, who would it be? And I and I I thought of I said Kareem or the Williams sisters is all that I can think of.
0: Literally, that's it. Or or uh, Dominique Wilkins, but uh, <laughs> let's let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, <laughs> move on. let's,
2: let's be real. We can watch
0: twenty one hours of Dominique
2: Wilkins. Please wow. sent the tapes directly to his house.
0: Wow, oh, man! But yes, I, yeah. Um, yeah. Did I ruin that with the? Did I ruin the show with the Dominique? Like, no, you know, no, you don't. No. I'm, no. Sorry. No. I'm sorry. No.
1: We, we know no. you are uh, a Dominique uh, yeah.
0: fan can can i say something real quick cuz we talked about kareem and and listeners there's another um there's a new documentary out on showtime if you got that showtime money uh i just waste all my money on, on that kind of stuff i don't even watch showtime i just have it uh the what's it called something in the water Something in the water. Something in the water. Kevin Durant. It's pretty. It's 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 good. It's pretty good. Uh, they do the Kareem when they when they played Dematha when when Power Memorial played Dematha. So that's that's my Kareem segue. Uh, but listeners, Derek. Uh, uh don't I gotta you call him out to, here. I gotta call him out here on, on because because we were watching it and we're texting back and forth and he texted me that that nobody from PG had gone to Maryland since Lynn Bias. I couldn't believe, and he missed out. I mean, he, I mean, Walt Williams, Steve Francis, Derek, you have something to say for yourself for being so wrong.
1: That was literally the very next tweet that I, the next message I sent you was Walt Williams and and Steve Francis, but that's fair. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehash my frustrations with my hall of fame basketball coach who won us our only national title and his recruitment of uh, all American players that all went to school, literally, Four miles from campus, um, so you know that's a that's a frustration that I will not do because I have a new set of frustrations as a Maryland fan, uh, and uh, we'll wait to another day uh, to to voice those. Sam, I I know we're at forty nine minutes, so we've been moving, but I would be remiss because you talked about this NDA, and 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 one of the chapters in your book talks about gender, and, and it was stunningly absent. Like, like you know, regular folks on Twitter who would not be uh, academics like us began to notice that there is this kind of weird absence of his wife, and we know that she didn't have any. She probably didn't want to say much. And I was listening to Bomani Jones last week, and he made a very good point that she didn't say much when they were together, and amidst all when at his height. But that the, the fact that there was even very little discussion that he had three kids. Like I, I forgot he had three kids. I knew he had two sons. I forgot he had a daughter. I didn't like, know he had
0: a daughter. Like, yeah. like, this
1: is like, like, hot, like the, To me, um, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I need some like professional expertise to help me understand this.
2: Absolutely. I will make a minor caveat is that the entire book is about gender. Um, But chapter three particularly thinks about issues of um, of women and men um, and the ways in which the um, particularly the black athlete is is. Unremarked upon as being male, um, is the way in which, um, gendering, um, goes unmasked. So I think that there's something extremely masculinist about The Last Dance. It is extremely interested in gender, um, and policing a kind of masculinity and, um, masculine form, masculine stories. Um, and because of that, um, the, the lack of, um, of any other binary or not or alternative um, or non-binary voice um, is become so apparent, as you just said, because you forget that oh man, this man was a parent, like, um, and that to me is also the failure of you doing a documentary with your subject because you obviously your subject may not bring anything up but you you get a chance to bring people as talking heads if you're going that route mm-hmm. um, who can you can ask things to provide different perspectives i say this low key because i have i realize i may be now caught up as the lone dissenting voice in a documentary about tyler perry but um, Neither here nor there. We'll talk some other time on the next podcast, the Tyler Perry talks. Um, but, oh, okay. um, so, but, you, but you bring in people to bring different voices. So like, so it's a very conscious choice, not just to have not have one, but to have to have very little conversation about him in that capacity beyond as a son. So his mother plays a role. And so there's a way that there's a kind of grace given in that that thing. So I think this, of course, I don't think she was going to be like I said, I think there's an NDA. I think it's sort of like, again, he has a a, 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 a new wife in mm-hmm. um, um, and, and keeping with the script um, that um, that many people have kept with in the second versions. Um and he's got a new life, and but the reality is that all of these things are a part of what make Michael do the things. Like what pissed me off in reading in Twitter, honestly, was people being like, "Oh, sh- was she in the gym with him? Was she in the blah?" blah? And that was- of like, is, is, is that how you, is that is this literally, is this the most your brain can think? If this is the limit, thank you for letting us know. Now, please sit down because the rest of us who have done the reading would like to speak. And I feel like <laughs> that's what happens here. People are like, oh, well, she wasn't dribbling the ball and so blah, blah. She got her money and she, it's like all of that, all the capacities because the stresses that are happening, that's why we, we think about the relationship between him. If the security guard who is like a father figure- can come into play then then yes the the woman who bore three of your children um at the height of your fame um who who kept your house going probably endured many things (laughs) um Mm -hmm. Um, is it, it, not a relevant thing that shaped you and thus shaped your body, shaped your game, shaped your approach, shaped your competitiveness, shaped whatever release you may be having or the lack of release. I think that's naive and stupid, but I'm stupid in fashion, so a lot of people are on trend, and that's my problem with like with with sort of the, the conception of oh, well, she doesn't need to be in there, but it's sort of like. This is just such a masculine tale. It's so gendered. It's so it's so black male in a way that it's sort of like it approaches hotelery at times because it's so fascinated with black men. And um, I know I'm talking to two black men, but still, um, it's just like Fly it's right. just so fascinated with like, oh my god, look what all the black male can do. It's like a Robert Mapplethorpe, image, like um, without thinking about the complexities of what that may mean beyond um, the sort of interracial sociality of, 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 of black men and black women um, that his, his, his original wife, um, his black wife, his first Vivian um, in, um, <laughs> <laughs> in Fresh Prince terms. Yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> so the black one, you remember? Yes, uh, that, no, yes. no just kidding. I, I make no blackness is a spectrum. I just, I don't want to do that. This is not a Rashida moment. um <laughs> So, um but yeah, I just think that the, the the film is 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 completely interested in gender, but doesn 't want to call itself that, and so therefore, when um it doesn't want to say, oh yeah we 're only interested in, in men and reifying this black male as this as this iconic racial uh, iconized figure, um then it does make it stand out even more so that Juanita is not there, that his daughter is not there, who oddly enough has been doing a lot of different like you know, like article interviews, being like, "My dad, I used to wear sketchers. and it's like, like you just said, I didn't even know you existed. Right? <laughs> like, like, I'm glad sweet, you, were you threw them out. <laughs> like, I was like, wait,
1: I was like, wait, I do. Like, it was like one of these random things where it's like, he had three kids, and I'm like, who's the third? Like, I was thinking like that in the, one of the documents. Like, who was the? I know the two sons because one played ball in college and and some and they've been around. Good,
0: yeah. right,
1: right. Like they're around, but like the daughter, I was like, wait, what? like it was just you know, it was fascinating and thank you for correcting me on my um on my yeah. oh, gender no. in your book. and gender in book because i deserve that but it, i've been on quarantine and i'm on a, i'm on, on summer vacation so my academic failing so clearly i did not do the reading that's what i'm saying that
2: is uh, that is that is I'm okay school reading. is is still in session in some places not here because i'm on leave but somewhere
1: <laughs> wow. wow look at this look at yeah. this um I'm playing no, that was fa- no that's fantastic and 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 thank you for for jumping on uh the black athlete podcast with Lou and I uh, uh, please tell everyone where to find your book uh so they can get it at the end again
2: absolutely so sporting blackness race embodiment and critical muscle memory on screen is available for purchase now on Amazon, or you can go to university of California press um, and order it straight from the press. If you do not want to support Amazon or Powell's bookstore or your local bookstore, or you can find the e-version if you do not want the hardcover, but it's got a great image by the um, uh, by um, Canadian artist um, Esma Mohammed called untitled no fields. It's a very provocative image image um and the text is um i wouldn't call it groundbreaking but according to the back it says it's exquisite and groundbreaking so um so i think that it's a definite must read um great for for children and adults um (laughs) so feel free to read this to your to your four-year-old or um um or just Um, make it your book of the month. Um, And I'm also available if anybody would like for me to discuss this book with you one-on-one in a zoom call for no reason or, (laughs) or any other kind of capacity, (laughs) basically um, with the pandemic and I hope everyone is safe and healthy um, is that um, I've got um, a lot of time and no time. So um, um, I've got two small kids, but um, I would love to, to answer any questions or to engage with people on this topic. If you're ever interested in sports films, Race, um representation. Um also Tyler Perry. Um I'm available for for commentary and my fee is um like most academics, um volunteerism. <laughs> oh
1: <Yeah>. wow.
2: Wow. <laughs> oh, except for um Derek and Lou, um I will I will be charging. I will invoice you. Oh please, thank I do. Thank you. We, didn't, we didn't get time up front, but now that it's on official record, I just want to say the the invoice is coming
0: oh okay, oh, okay. <laughs> oh wow wow okay on that note it's time for us to get out of here. i
2: loved it they're so amazing thank you i can't wait to to, to listen to this and be cringed by my own vocals
0: <laughs> all right we are out peace peace bye